Okay, if you've got Bibles with you, uh, Isaiah chapter 9. It's kind of because we're kind of, I suppose, coming to the Christmas period, then we can't. We've got to have a Christmas, uh, I suppose, a, a well known scripture that's so connected to this season. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 6, so it's well known to us. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Just that last phrase, of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. Isn't that awesome? Didn't we look at that just that, I suppose really, we're just going to, that verse 6 there says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. She was aware that as the Son of God, I mean, Jesus didn't begin in Bethlehem. I only realised that. You know, he, the Bible says he was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was what? With God. As a son, he says there, unto us a son is given. Now, just that phrase kind of struck me because he was given as a gift for redemption. You think all the verses that speak of this beautiful picture that Jesus was given. He was a gift given. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John says, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. 2 Corinthians 9.15 says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Isn't that amazing? I think the NLT describes this way. Thank God for his heavenly gift. And we just come as we think of this season, it's all about kind of the giving. And I was just thinking that the greatest gift that ever given for all time and eternity, I'm glad it was Jesus. And I love the fact that John describes this gift as so amazing, you can't even describe it. It's undescribable. Something that is so awesome, so amazing. And there's the point, really, if it doesn't really excite us, then we've never really understood the greatness of the gift. Is that right? If, you've never, if it doesn't really stir you, doesn't really excite your heart, if you, if, you, if you become so familiar with it and it doesn't kind of grab you anymore, then maybe we've lost what is really what Jesus is all about. We've lost sight of what it's all about. 
Because the more you understand, I think the more excited you get. He's the greatest gift that has ever been given. He gives us forgiveness, cleansing, transformation, righteousness, acceptance. And I just love this thought that we are able to come directly in access to God himself. Isn't that amazing? I just That's just staggering. Absolutely staggering beyond belief. That we can actually come directly into God's presence. Wow. That's the point. This is what I really want to think about. No matter how amazing a gift is, how, no matter how awesome, how amazing, how many of you think, think of some great gifts? But no, how amazing, how great a gift is, it's of no value if you can't receive it. Is that right? If the gift is given, the only way you enjoy it is when you receive it. Isn't it amazing how hard people find it is to receive? A lot of people find it very easy to give, which is wonderful, but often struggle to receive. I think my mum and dad were the prime example of this. They love to give, but they very much struggled with the ability to... I remember somebody was going to take them about... I think it was about two minutes in the car, because they were taking them to the straight we were. And somebody that... We never took a car at the time. Someone's going to take them to the, car, to, to, the, to the train station. It was about two minutes to get there. And they had to give him three, you know, three pound or four, five pound for, for about five minutes. And they had to give. They, they couldn't actually receive it. They had to sort of, they, you know, they couldn't have anything for nothing. You know what I'm talking about? And they struggled in so many ways. And I saw it many often that they could give but struggled to receive. And I think often we're like that. We can so easily give, which is wonderful, but often we struggle to receive. And here's the point. If you can't receive, then really, you've got nothing to give with. Is that right? Bible says, out of his fullness have we received. So I receive out of his fullness so I can give. How can I give if I'm empty? If I've really got nothing inside me, what can I really give? And we receive to give. If I'm not receiving, what am I giving from? How can I give? How can I impact others if I've really got nothing to give from myself? If I've not received anything myself? How can I impact somebody else with something I've not received myself? And this is to me one of the major issues. Out of his fullness, we have received. But the point is, if we're empty, then what are we giving out of? What have we got to give? And there's the issue. Jesus says that you receive. Why? So you might give. One of the great definitions of the Bible is reaping and sowing. But how can I reap if I've got nothing to sow with? So if I'm not sowing anything and I've got nothing to sow with, then there's nothing I can reap from. And I'm not just talking about finance. I'm talking about lots of other areas of our lives where we we give, where we sow. We can sow in love. We can sow in all kinds of acts of kindness and all kinds of ways we can sow. But if I've not got anything to sow with, then I've got nothing to harvest. And so the issue so often is, I want to give, but I've got nothing to give from. I'm empty, I'm dry. And I can't give out of an empty, dry heart. I can only give out of a heart that received out of his fullness out of his fullness, 
have we received? If I'm not receiving out of his fullness, then really I've got very little to give. We can never impact our world by giving them, trying to give them something that we really haven't got ourselves. Or giving them something that they have already. How many have had that? How many don't want a present that you've got already? You want to give somebody something that they haven't already got. So if, if you're not receiving off him, then really you've got nothing to offer somebody that they haven't got already. Amen? So I receive from him so I can give. Now here's the question. What prevents me from receiving? And I want to think about three things that stop us from being receptive, from receiving. There's probably many other things, but I want to focus on three things before I kind of, we build on this. Here's the first thing, I think, that stops us from receiving. It's a big one. They're all big ones, really. Here's the first one. Unbelief. Unbelief stops us from receiving from God. And I think the, often the agenda of unbelief is to keep us from walking in the fullness. Do you know there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible that God wants to pour into your life? But unbelief robs us of the blessings of God. Do you know unbelief prevented Jesus from doing the Father's will in his hometown? Unbelief tied his hands. Unbelief hindered the disciples from casting the devil from a young boy. Unbelief caused Israel to walk around the wilderness for 40 years. Unbelief is the opposite to faith. Faith is where you trust, have loyalty, and you believe the promises of God. Unbelief is where we don't believe God's word is true. You see, really, do you know what? You're always believing in something right now. Okay? You're believing in something. You're either believing in your circumstances, you're either believing in your feelings, or you're believing in the Word of God. So you're believing in something. The issue is not what you're believing, it's what you're believing in. You either believe what you feel, you either believe what you see, you either believe your circumstances or you believe the word of God. And that's faith. That you believe what God says in spite of your feelings, in spite of your circumstances, in spite of what you see, you still believe the word of God. And I think unbelief robs us so much of what God wants to do. Look at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. There's a great story that I mentioned earlier about Jesus going to his hometown. And here's what happened when Jesus went to his hometown. Matthew 13, verse 55. Matthew 13, verse 55. This is how they responded to Jesus in his hometown. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brother James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? And his sisters are not they not with us all? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour 
except in his own country, in his own house. Now he did not do, there's the point, now he did not do many mighty works there. Why? Because of their what? Unbelief. You see what happened? They began to reason it. And as they began to reason things out, they began to doubt. And the doubt led to unbelief, which also meant they also took offence. You'll be amazed that offence, when it gets into the heart, will always lead to doubt. You can't really operate in faith when your heart is offended, because I'll tell you why there is. Faith pulls love out of you. You know what the Bible says? Faith works by what? Love. So if I'm not in a position of love, then I'm not in a position of faith because faith works through love. And if I'm offended, I can't be in a place of love. How many can see that? And so the Bible says, because of the offense of the heart, they reasoned it, they doubted it, they got offended. And that caused them, the Bible says, to be in a place of unbelief. Look at verse 58. Now, I want to read this from the Amplified Version. How many of you like to read the Bible in different versions? I think that's awesome when you do that. But I want to read this particular scripture from the, from the Amplified Version. Verse 58. You can read it in your version, but let me just read it from the, from the Amplified Version. And he says, And he did not do many works of power there. Because of their unbelief, and there's what the Amplified says, which is a good rendering of this particular verse, their lack of faith in the divine mission of Jesus. That course, they had lack of faith in the divine mission of Jesus. What is the divine mission of Jesus? His divine mission was to save, to heal, deliver and equip. And the enemy's assignment is to thwart that mission. And God wants us to do miracles in our lives. But in order for that to happen, we need to take him at his word. That's faith, really. That you take Jesus at his word. Amen. You take Jesus, literally, what he says at his word. And when you take him literally at his word, that means you are operating in faith. You are believing in the mission of Jesus. So many believe in the mission of Jesus. And you have faith in his mission to save, to heal, to deliver, to set free, and to equip. How many good spellers here? I'm so how many are glad for, for word check. I love it on the computer these days. You, know. you spill that word, you go, I have a lot of reds. How many found that? Loads of red underneath. I'm so glad for that. That's so awesome. But there's one lesson I used to say in spelling. Before I, I before E, except after C. How many remember that? Is that right? Yeah. If I write that, I'll ask the idea of that. But I before E, except after See, yeah, okay. Another kind of way to help me kind of, I remember to help me kind of remember words, when you look at the word unbelief, do you know there's a lie in unbelief? Think about it. There's lie in unbelief. And that right there is a revelation. Whatever area of your life, there's no faith or there's unbelief. The reason why there's unbelief there, because at some point, you're believing a lie. Because there's always a line on belief. And it's recognizing where the lie is. What is that lie that's causing me to operate in unbelief? Because wherever there's unbelief, wherever there's doubt, at the very root of that, that is what a lie. You shall know the what? Truth. And truth shall set you free. 
Satan is the father of lies. Jesus is the author of truth. If I believe the truth, it brings me into faith, which brings me liberty and freedom. If I believe the lie of the enemy, it brings me into a condition of unbelief. And what does unbelief do? It stops me receiving from God. Here's a second one, very quickly. Shame. Shame stops us receiving from God. You know what shame says? I'm no good. I'm, no wor- I'm not worthy enough to receive from God. How many people feel that? I'm not worthy enough to receive from God. I'm unworthy. I can't, I'm not good enough to receive from God. And shame is a fear-based emotion that makes you believe that you're a failure, that you don't deserve any good or any happiness in your life. I'm not good enough for anything or anybody, and no matter what you do, you still don't really feel good about yourself. You see, guilt is because of what you've done. Shame is in who you are. Really, it's where you, et- you eternalize guilt. So, You're ashamed, not by what you've done so much, but you're ashamed of who you are. You don't like yourself. You're almost ashamed of yourself. And maybe you'd never say, but deep inside your heart, that's the way, when you look in the mirror every day, that's the way you feel about yourself. You don't like yourself. You don't feel you're good. You don't feel anything worthy in your life. And so this shame is inside your heart. Often shame can come through, often abuse. Or betrayal. Or a rejection. I've often found a lot of people who struggle with shame actually began often in their school life when they were bullied. And because they were bullied, they kind of thought it was something about them. Something not likable about them. And so they grew up with this feeling of shame. And the shame got a hold of them. Even though they were never, even though they were innocent, not guilty, anything, yet they felt this shame inside. And shame makes me want to cover myself up in some way. Often people who struggle with shame cover up their imperfections. Because they're afraid if people really see the real them, people will reject them as well. And so people cover up their imperfections. Shame leads to a belief that we've crossed over a line that is beyond grace and we feel we've gone too far. I'm here to tell you this morning. There's no line, no sin that can keep God from from doing something amazing in your life. And when when we live on shame, here's the thing about shame. You focus on the sin rather than Jesus. The more I focus on Jesus, the more I realize my worthiness is not dependent on me, it's dependent on him, amen? Because I'm focusing on him, not on my past, not on my, not on my failure, not on things that took place. I'm focusing on him. It says about Jesus that he, for the joy that was set before him, the Bible says he what? He despised the shame. He took your shame on himself so that you could come into a place of acceptance. And the real way to shake off shame is to realize that you're accepted in the beloved. He accepts you because of the blood of Jesus. You stand not in your own righteousness, 
bring the righteousness of Jesus. It's Jesus that gives you the ability to stand before God without fault. Isn't that awesome? But here's the point. If I'm still living under the power of shame, I'm going to find it very hard to receive from God. Because the truth is, none of us will ever feel worthy enough. But the more I realize what Jesus has done, the more it's dependent on him, the more it opens my heart to receive from him. So we want to remove shame from our hearts so we can receive all that he asks for us. Can you say amen? Here's the third one. This is a big one, really. Pride. How much pride stops us from receiving from God? I found this. Pride is no respecter of persons. It's a struggle for every single person. And any single person that doesn't think he has pride probably definitely does have pride. Because pride blinds us from our condition. That's the, awesome, that's the essence of pride. And when pride comes into your life, it replaces your dependency on God. Because really what pride does, it wants you to live an independent life. That you don't need anyone, you don't need anything, and you don't really feel you need God, really. That's, that's pride. Pride lives depending on itself. And the way to see God work in your life is say, God, I need you so much. I'm totally, utterly dependent on you. Without you, I'm not going to make it. I need you so much. And it's out of that heart God responds. Amen? Look at Proverbs. Proverbs is a great book on pride and humility. Proverbs 16. Verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. People fall because they lose that sense of being dependent on God. Being dependent on Him. Some of you are just going to go through it or some of you have already experienced it. Remember the dreaded threes, the dreaded twos, twos and threes. I can do it myself. Thank you, Mummy. Thank you, Daddy. I can tie my own shoelace. I can do this. I can do that. I don't, you know, I, I can do it all myself. You know, some Christians never really grow out of that kind of spirit. That sense, Jesus, I am totally and completely reliant on you. You know what Jesus said? He said, I can do nothing unless the Father works through me. Isn't that right? He, he said, I've got nothing to say unless the Father reveals it to me first. Jesus, if you like, revealed a life that was absolutely dependent on his Father. Everything he did, every work he performed, was out of his total dependence on his Father. So how much more do we need to live a life that's so dependent on him? You can say amen. Look at this verse. This is powerful. James, James chapter 4, verse 6. If this doesn't shake you out of pride then I don't know what will. James 4, verse 6. Have you of the power of this verse? It's often one we're familiar with. But have you ever seen how really powerful that is? He says he gives more grace, therefore he says God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know what grace is? Grace is supernatural ability to get the job done. It's God's empowering. It's God's ability. And whenever we're in a place of dependency, 
grace begins to kick in in our lives. So what's this sense? When God calls you to, when God calls you to do something, I guarantee in your own self and your own ability, you'll never feel you can do it. In fact, if you think you can do it, it's good evidence that God never called you to do it. But when God calls you to do something, you'll never feel in yourself you can do it. I've found this. When I think I can do it, then I actually can't do it. But when I think I can't do it, then God says you're ready to do it. Why? Because at that point, God kicks in, is empowering, his ability kicks into my life. Amen? Now it says this. God gives grace to those who are dependent on him, who are relying on him, who recognize their need of him. But the proud, what does he do? He resists. You've thought about this. That's the only, if you like, the only thing God says he resists. Isn't that powerful? He says, I resist proud people. I resist the proud heart. I resist it. And that word in the Greek means, it's like, to, it's like, an arm, it's like a general coming with a big army to really resist an enemy coming against them. And that's a picture. God says, I resist. All, all my forces is against the proud heart. I resist the proud heart. I don't operate. I don't work. I don't release my ability to the proud heart. But to the heart that is humble, I give incredible grace. Isn't that wonderful? How many don't want to resist God? Because if you think about it, if I'm resisting God, then I'm not receiving from God. When I'm in a place of humility, what am I, what am I doing? I am receiving from His how many realize, Lord, make me dependent? Root out every level of pride in me so I can receive all that you want to give to me. Now, turn with me to Mark. You know what? Come Christmas morning, what do you think your children are going to do when they get those presents? Do you think they're going to say... Father, I do not deserve this, any presents this year. I scribbled with felt-tip pen on that wall you beautifully painted. I'm not worthy of a present this year. Or, or you know, I didn't mean to tie, tie my action man to Auntie Flo's cat. You know, I'm just so unworthy of any present this year. How many, th- how many know kids aren't going to do that? No matter how much they've messed up this year, how many mistakes they made, thank you very much, you know. Well, they're not going to say, well, I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't have that present. No, no, not this year. No, 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 no. I couldn't ever receive that present. As soon as you give them that present, they're going to go, whoosh, whoosh, they're going to tear it to pieces in just a few minutes. Isn't that right? This is what Jesus says. Because he says we've got to have that kind of spirit, that kind of heart. In Mark 10, he's talking about the ability to receive, really. And in Mark 10, verse 14. And when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the children come to me and do not forbid them. Of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will be no means enter into it. In other words, become childlike in your heart. Become dependent. Begin to... Begin to have a childlike heart that is... You know, children don't make things complicated, is that right? They don't reason things out. If a parent says something to them, they really believe it. They don't think, oh, that, how can you do that? Or where's he got the resources? They don't question the resources. If you, you take a kid to a, cho- to, to, to a toy shop, 
They're not going to say, oh, I know you can't afford that, Father, so I won't have that. They'll say, I love that, I love that, I love that, I love that, I love that. There's no sense of, of lack of resources in a child. There's no sense of, of, of reasoning out. How can he do that? How can he get it? We know that they don't reason things out. They just say, yep, yeah, thank you very much. You've said it, that's it, I'm going to get it. And we've almost got to have that childlike heart. That heart that says, God, you said it. I believe it. I receive it. And that's the spirit. That's the heart that God wants you to have. Now look at the things he wants to pour into your life. Now, so much I can say about this. I'm going to quickly go through this. First of all, he says, these are the things you can receive from Jesus. He says, the government will be upon his shoulders. Jesus wants to rule in your life. He doesn't just want to take part in your life. He wants to come and take over your life. He comes, he wants you to receive him as someone who's what? He's the, he's the, he's wonderful. He's the one that's wonderful. I think this, when you really, really begin to see the power of Jesus, so in your heart, really, human language can't explain. So I tell you what we need to get, I think I mentioned it before. He's wonderful. We need to get the wow factor in our hearts. I think when we lose the wow factor about Jesus, our Christian life often can become kind of boring. It can become sort of mundane. We we lose that sense that, Jesus, you're wonderful. I stand, my heart is stunned by your sheer wonder and your sheer amazement. Time and time again, the Bible says they were amazed by him. When he stilled a storm, the the Bible says they marveled at him. When he he changed the water into wine, how many think that, you know, it was a mundane wedding, became wedding of the century, is that right? Lives were transformed. Wherever he was around, whenever he was working, the Bible constantly says they marveled. They were in awe of what he did. I think sometimes we can lose that sense of awe, that sense of wonderment, that sense of, Jesus, you're just so radically amazing. And here's the point. If you've lost that sense of the amazing Jesus, I really think somewhere you've lost sight of who he really is. Because I think when you really see Jesus as he really is, your heart's stunned by his beauty. Your heart's stunned in sheer amazement. Just thinking, you just seen it to me. I don't know if you know, it's your share at some point when you went to heaven, is that right? One thing you said, your heart was stunned, wasn't it? There was a stunning of the heart. And I think when you get a real glimpse of Jesus, your heart is stunned by him. I can't believe someone can really get a glimpse of Jesus and it's just one day and every day sort of stuff. We've got to get back to this, to our hearts being stunned in amazement and wonder at Jesus. Because that is what he wants you to receive. He's, he's, he's wonderful. I'm really glad he's, he's wonderful. And that revelation, I think, it transforms the human heart. It changes our emotions from boredom and depression and guilt and compromise by a revelation of Jesus. I think the Holy Spirit so wants to reveal Jesus to the human heart. We have awestruck wonder. That is sheer amazement. That's why your worship should be absolutely, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, because I'm awestruck. The very fact you're saved, the very fact that Jesus lives in you, that's awestruck wonder, is that right? 
That you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's awestruck wonder. And so many things in the Bible, we become familiar with them, we lose the ability to be awestruck by it. To be amazed by it. To be absolutely staggered by the sheer amazement of it. But the moment your heart is truly awestruck, something of the awesomeness of Jesus changes your heart. He's wonderful. Receiving him is wonderful. Here's the next thing. He is the counsellor. And really that word counsellor, there's two words that describe the counsellor. First of all, it's a picture of somebody in those days, kings would have somebody who would come alongside them and would tell the king how to run the country, basically. They would advise them, they would show them, they would tell them how they're to run the country. And when it says Jesus is a counsellor, it means he wants to show you how to run your life. He wants to give you the wisdom how to run your life. He wants to give you the wisdom how to run your marriage. He wants you to give you the wisdom how to run your family life. He wants you to give the wisdom of how you operate even in your, in your job and your, your normal everyday circumstances. He's the counsellor and he comes, he said, I want you to receive my wisdom. My wisdom of how you operate in life. The second word, really what it means is this. He's a counsellor in the sense... He can discern what the true issues are in life. Sometimes we see things from a perspective and we don't really see the the real cause. We don't see what really is beneath the surface. Is that right? We see the outward things, but we don't really see what is really beneath it. Jesus has the ability to look at the very root of something and show you what the real root cause is at. Here's the point. Unless you deal with the root, then you still have the fruit. And sometimes we're dealing with the fruit of something... And because we never deal with the root, the problem is never removed. Because we've never dealt with the real root of what's going on inside our hearts. And Jesus comes as a counsellor and says, this is the real issue. This is what's really going on in your life. You've made all this kind of excuse. You've said this and you've said that. But here's the real reason of what's really going on in your life. This is the real reason of your life. How many are glad that you want to see the root? And so he comes alongside you as a counsellor to give you the wisdom to know what to do in life. But also he gives you the wisdom to find out what the real root issues are in your heart. Can you say amen? How many glad is a counsellor? I like this one. Not only is he a mighty counsellor, not only is he a counsellor, but also he's a mighty God. He's mighty this morning. He is a mighty God. And he wants you to receive him as mighty God. He's mighty in the fact he's defeated every enemy you face. He's forever the champion. And whatever you're facing today, he wants to tell you he is able. There's a phrase that's repeated five times in the New Testament. You know what that phrase is? All things are possible to him who believes. That phrase is repeated five times in the New Testament. And Jesus wants you to get hold of that this morning. He is able. Nothing is impossible for him. Why? Because he is the mighty God. Receive him this morning as the mighty God. Let's stop looking what is possible in natural eyes and start believing in the mighty God. Not only is he the mighty God, the Bible says he's also the everlasting Father. 
The one that gives tender care. The one that brings provision and protection. You know what Jesus came above all else to reveal to us? He came to reveal the Father's heart. There was one name that was never really fully revealed in the Old Testament. It's only fully revealed and manifested in the New Testament. That's Father. And Jesus came to give the greatest revelation of all. That creator God, the God who is Yahweh, the God who is eternal, the covenant-keeping God is a God who is your Father. And if we're to really receive anything from him, we need to have a revelation of his Father heart. So I believe this is my personal thing. I believe if revival is to come, in the fullness we want it to come, it will only really happen when we have a revelation of the Father's heart. The Bible says in the last days, the spirit of Elijah will be released. And the spirit of Elijah is really a fathering spirit. And God says, I want you to get a revelation from your Father. Receive me as your heavenly Father. Get that really date down into your spirit. I think sometimes, let me put it this way, we have the father of lies and the father of love. And here's what I found. I'm either believing the father of lies or I'm believing the father of love. The father of lies comes at you with condemning, guilt-ridden thoughts. The father of love comes with you with words that encourage, words that strengthen, words that empower. So here's the point. If I'm to receive from him, I need to receive words from the father of love, not believe the father of lies. He comes to condemn. He comes to accuse. But the father of love comes to encourage and stir and move, build you up, strengthen you, cause you to believe you can do anything through him. Amen. So I've got a choice. Am I going to believe the father of lies or am I going to believe the father of love? And here's the, Because he's the father of love, He pours the Father's heart love into your heart so that you can release that love. And you'll never release the Father's love until you first received it. And so as I receive the Father's love, he pours it into me so I can pour that love out. He is the everlasting Father. Satan, you know, I think we've been, your whole being is created to receive that love. St. Augustine said, he loves every one of us as though there was only one of us to love. I love it. Here's the final one. Let me close with this one. He is what? The the Prince of Peace. Luke 2, verse 14. Let's finish off the nice Christmassy scripture. Luke 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. You know what? I've often said this before. What's in heaven, God wants to release on earth. You know what's in heaven right now? Incredible peace. And God wants to bring peace in heaven and invade earth with peace. Notice Jesus called, he's called the Prince of Peace. The one, the more he reigns in you, the more peace in your heart you will have. 
And when he doesn't reign in the heart, when he's not really reigning in your life, then you'll find yourself not having real peace. And I don't think it's the will of God that we are full of anxiety, stress and worry. You know what the word peace means? It means shalom. And it means completeness, safety, soundness, health, prosperity, tranquility. Because the peace that I'm talking about this morning is supernatural peace. It's a peace that is so powerful, that is so strong, that can keep you in your darkest moments. It's a peace that is so strong and is so powerful, it strengthens you in any situation. It transforms atmospheres. You think about it. If you were under the, you could be in the sea, 30 feet under the sea. And that sea right there on top of you could be having a storm, could be having a hurricane. But you're under the water and you wouldn't even know it's existing. And sometimes on the surface we can have troubles, struggles, all kinds of things going on on the surface. But deep inside our hearts, a supernatural peace of God rules in our hearts. Another word for that word peace, it means this. Nothing between us. One of the most powerfulest words I felt God ever spoke to me was this. John, don't let there ever be anything between us. Because the moment I let anything come between me and my father, you know what I'm going to lose? I lose what? Peace. Ever had an issue maybe where you've not forgiven somebody? What's the first thing that begins to go? You lose your peace. Because something has come between you and God. Romans says, therefore we have peace with God. And so the moment there's something in me, an issue, a barrier, a war between me and him, the first thing that often goes is my peace. And so if I've got something right now that I feel a disturbance inside my heart, the first question I need to ask myself is this. Is there something between me and him? Is there something I need to deal with? Is there some war or some area? Because he is the prince of peace. When Jesus came to his disciples, he says, my peace, receive. And sometimes we say, Lord, I'm facing a real challenge here. Send your peace into my heart. Pour your peace in. So I know once the peace is there, There's nothing I can't face. Can you say amen? Peace. My peace. I leave with you. It's not a peace that the world gives, but a supernatural peace that the world can never grasp and the world cannot understand because it's a peace that comes from my heavenly Father. Can you say amen? Anyone say, Lord, today I want to receive everything you have for me today. You're the counselor. You're the mighty God. You're the everlasting Father. You're the Prince of Peace. And I receive you in every dimension to my life. Let's just come before him right now. Can we just stand just for a few moments right now as we just come before the Lord? Oh, Jesus, he's so wonderful, isn't he? Well, you just spend a few moments saying, Lord, I just love you today. You're just so wonderful. Stir, help me never lose my sense of awe and wonder who you are. Let my heart be staggered by your sheer amazingness. 
Let my heart be absolutely bursting because of your sheer wonder and your sheer beauty and your sheer amazingness. You're the mighty counsellor. I need wisdom. Give me wisdom. I receive wisdom. You're the mighty God. You can turn that circumstance I face around because you're mighty. And you are the Prince of Peace. A peace that empowers me to face the challenges of life. Just open your heart right now. Say, Lord, pour your peace in today. I want to open my heart. Let me receive peace into my heart right now. So we just need to receive peace. Just spend a few moments right now being like a child. You don't reason it out, you don't work it out, you just receive it. Is that right? Just open your eyes and say, Lord, this is what I need right now. You see, he, need, he knows what you need more than you know yourself. Say, so, Lord, I just receive peace. I, I need wisdom for my life right now. I receive wisdom. I receive your mightiness. Receive your power. I feel weak, but send in your power. Just tell him you need him. Simple as that. Just open your eyes. As the music plays right now, just let the Holy Spirit begin to minister. Just welcome the Holy Spirit right now. Because he comes to bring Jesus and all his fullness into your life. Say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, come. I welcome you, Holy Spirit. Just welcome the Holy Spirit. Welcome the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you tonight. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place right now. Come, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, we need you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just call out to him right now. He comes where he's needed. He doesn't come where he's resisted. If there's any level of resistance, oh Lord, break that resistance now. If there's any pride in my heart, Lord, would you pull that down? If there's any unbelief, pull that unbelief out. Take any shame out of my heart today. Thank you that you've, your blood has cleansed me of my past. And pull any shame out, any sense of unworthiness right now. Just pull it out of my heart right now. I receive all you have. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.